If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Well, I'm glad y'all are here this morning. Um, this is a 10-week uh, class. We're going to try our best to get through all the material in uh, this section of time, and then we'll determine at the end of the 10 weeks what we're going to do next time. Um, but one of the things that we've had a lot of feedback from is I did a lesson some weeks ago on how Jesus dealt with disappointment. And then we had a lesson after prayer that dealt with anxiety. And so I had a lot of requests for more material on that subject. So what I decided to do was to try to put together a class. It ended up, we fast forwarded it a little faster than I I thought we would do it. I thought we might do it towards the end of the year, but this is perfect. It's going to work just fine. And uh, what I want to do is I want to go through today just a few scriptures uh, that maybe can help us in dealing with uh, our uh, anxiety. If you've got people in your life that struggle with depression or struggle with phobias, uh, we have a tendency to look down on people and we look down on ourselves for getting uh, in a, as we might say, just kind of getting in a funk for a little while. And uh, the Bible does give us some wisdom and there are some fantastic stories we'll go through in the next few weeks from Scripture that got absolutely depressed. And part of it is self-inflicted. Uh, others, other parts, other characters we'll see. Uh, it may be uh, circumstance, it may be uh, family struggles, it may be uh, you know, wrestling with personal demons, but each of, these, each of these connections will help us, I think, looking at things from a bird's eye view down on, on our trouble, is to kind of t- take our mind off of what we're feeling, what we're dealing with, and, and looking at it from God's perspective, I think will help a tremendous amount. Um, and I shared some statistics, I think it was... I don't know if I did this in the anxiety lesson. It may have been, may have been prior to that. But um, as we deal with mindfulness and mental health, listen to some of these statistics. This is anxiety or, uh, disorders affect 40 million adults every year. That's 31.2% of Americans. Majority of Americans will go through depression or anxiety at some point in their life. Uh, but, but 31% each year. And 90% of the people with generalized anxiety disorder have another psychiatric diagnosis. And sometimes people will automatically assume that they have some kind of a disorder. In fact, you've probably heard this before. The coffee's ready, by the way. Uh, if you, if you, uh, somebody you know is just going through a real tough time and you go, oh, well, they're just depressed. Or uh, somebody's high maintenance, you know, and, and real high energy and you say, oh, well, they've got anxiety. Or if they show one side of their personality and the next day they show another, you go, oh, they must be bipolar. 
So we have all turned into psychiatrists. <laughs> we, we have literally learned to diagnose ourselves and diagnose other people, and we may be completely off. I do believe wholeheartedly that uh, for a generation, we diagnosed every hyperactive kid as ADHD. I mean, we just, it was a general thing. They didn't take blood tests. They didn't do. They just looked into their eyes and looked at some of their characteristics and said, "All right, let's let's give them some Ritalin." You know, I mean, it's, there was a generation where the only solution for these types of things we'll talk about, PTSD, all these things, is just medication, medication, medication. And I will say that medication does help. Uh, there there are times that you can get the dosage right. Sometimes it's there's several medications you can take for anxiety, but you, that's something you need to discuss with the doctor. So we have to be really careful that we don't automatically um, diagnose someone. I, th I think that's the same thing today is people will say, well, they must be on the spectrum. That's the big thing today. Oh, they must be on the spectrum. Well, that really takes away from the kids that actually have autism, the kids that are actually struggling with that particular thing. So we can't just generalize and say, you know, that this person has this and this person says that. There's another one we use a lot. It's like, well, they're crazy. You ever said that about somebody? And <laughs> they're just absolutely crazy. Well, no, they may just had a bad day. <laughs> but nevertheless, about 9 million Americans suffer from phobias. Uh, many Americans report anxiety, anger, fatigue, and lying awake at night. I talked about that in the anxiety lesson some weeks ago. And so the question we have to ask is, what are we going to do to handle that stress? What are we going to do... And my, my, uh, my suggestion is that we practice mindfulness, is what we call it, where you basically re learn to retrain your mind how to think in, the, in a crisis, trying to reevaluate when everything falls apart that it's not always your fault, and you can't fix it. Sometimes you cannot fix what's going on. You have to learn to cope, and coping is much more difficult. It's easier if I say, God, hey, take it off my plate, and he does. But our life as Christians is to endure affliction. So our goal should be to pray that God gives us enough strength, enough energy, enough comfort, whatever the case may be, peace of mind, that we can overcome these things when they happen. So nearly three-fourths of people reported having someone to rely on in times of stress. When they did this study, and there's a couple of other studies that you can look at. Of course, Barna Research is a great uh, source, but there are certain websites that you can go to and see the updated statistics. We have a connection. I, got, I don't know how I got into it. I guess when I was, I was at Harvard Divinity School, somehow we got a connection to ResearchGate, which is a, uh, I, I got in because I had an EDU address, but you can go in and you can read common uh, papers, things like that, that somebody that's uh, within your uh, frame of study, and you can go in and you can read the latest research, uh, books, uh, articles, uh, journals, uh, case studies, and it's really neat. It's helped, it helped me a lot to go in and, and try to diagnose some things that were going on in current day, specifically some of the LGBTQ stuff. Um, but most people have reported that they have somebody to count on. They have somebody that they can lean on. So what happens when you go through that difficult situation and you have nobody to talk to about it? Maybe it's because you're ashamed or you're afraid of how somebody will look at you. How does that stress compound the problem? Uh, we need to try as best we can to learn to rely on God, but we also need to learn to rely on other people that we can be honest with, that we can communicate to. And I think that the church is meant to be this community of broken people where we work together to find solutions. 
And so um, when people come forward, let's say, during the invitation, that is a cry for help. And we should immediately try our best to help them. If they're struggling with something, pair them with somebody in the church that can maybe help mentor them or encourage them. And if you find people that are like-minded or people that have gone with, uh, dealt with similar things, you should be able to connect. And that's a, that sense of community is one reason why most of the people stay in the church. Uh, there are people that go to churches right now that they know they don't teach true doctrine. They, they know they don't. But because of their community programs, because of their outreach with youth, because of some kind of a ministry, they stay. Uh, I had a guy one time, I was talking to him about leaving his congregation. He said, well, we're so benevolent. We give money to so many people, and I just don't know any church that's doing that much good. You know? And I said, well, I, I don't know that I would hang my hat on we spend our money right. Um, I think that there's a whole lot more to worship and to personal living that needs to take into consideration. But that's why he stayed at this church is because they were a very thriving financially church. They, they had a lot of money, and they threw a lot of money around. Uh, and that's, that's, not, that's not the way we should look at it. But we do need to have a community of people that are not afraid to share their struggles, to be able to say, this is what I'm dealing with. You shouldn't um, look down on somebody just because of what they're dealing with, because we may later in the future deal with that, or we may have dealt with it in the past. And uh, we just need to be mindful of dealing with other people. So um, here are some more little statistics. And this is a huge screen. Isn't that neat? We got, got this big old screen in here. <laughs> yeah, everybody in the Wednesday morning class loves it. Uh, in the Psalms, David, he writes, one, one psalm is on Psalm 32. It's really a psalm about forgiveness. But he says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And I love that idea that we are surrounded by the love of God. We are surrounded by it. And so whenever we are struggling and we feel that we're alone, David says you're never alone. Because if you are righteous, the love of God surrounds you. Paul will say there's no height nor depth, uh, you know, length, width, nothing high, nothing low, nothing created, nothing. He goes through the whole list. Nothing separates us from the love of God because the love of God surrounds the believer. And we have to see ourselves as encapsulated you know, completely overwhelmed by the love of God. And if that's the case, then I don't see my affliction as a punishment from the Lord. I don't see my anxiety as something that God is using to teach me a valuable lesson about life. But yet, that's just the way life is. Things just happen. Um, people, people die. Uh, disease is, is something we cannot avoid. Uh, accidents happen. And so it's simply circumstance. It's not... Uh, pre-planned. I don't believe God goes, okay, let's go down and have that person go through this and that person go through that. They're just circumstances of life. Um, when you talk about dealing with your stress, one of the, one of the um, groups that I was studying said that people listen to music, uh, they'll exercise their walks, many will pray, uh, some will meditate, some will practice yoga. I know I showed this here a few weeks ago. And here's one on depression. There are different types of depression. Uh, in fact, one of the things, I don't know that we've ever got it right. If you go to a hospital, they'll show you a bunch of pictures of faces. And they'll say, which one do you think you are? You know? And uh, you've got to sit there and look at those and go, well, I'm somewhere between this one and this one. You, know, you can't really, uh, it, it's hard to determine which one you are. Same thing with your pain. On your pay, no, from uh, 1 to 10, how are you? And you go, well, I'm a 13. Well, that's not an option. You know, you gotta, it's between 1 and 10. But um, it's really hard 
to put a, uh, a number or to put a picture with what you're feeling, but that's the best way that they can, they can try to do it. So it's a complicated psychological and physical battle when you deal with depression. Um, depression is one of the most prevalent mental illnesses in the United States. Uh, 17% uh, lifetime, uh, 17% uh, have a 12-month issue, 2% have a severe 12-month issue. Um, depression by gender. Believe it or not, women are almost twice as much at risk for suffering uh, through depression. That's no shock. Uh-huh, yeah. And age, it gets, uh, it actually gets better as you get older, believe it or not. 8.7% uh, depressed from 18 to 25, 7.4% of Americans 26 to 49, and 4.5% at 50 or more. And I would think that that would be higher, but it is, that's currently, that's what the rate is. Uh, 52% of individuals diagnosed with depression are receiving treatment, some kind of a, at least a 12-month healthcare program. 20% are receiving minimal adequate treatment. Maybe they're getting a, a medication they take daily. 57% uh, of Americans diagnosed with depression are receiving treatment with a 12-month any service use, including healthcare. It means they're seeing their doctor about it. And then finally, 21% of those receiving minimal adequate treatment, as basic as it can get. So, uh, obviously, it's an issue for all ages. It's an issue for both genders. Yes, there are only two. Um, but a lot of people, depending on their situation, it may increase their risk. Uh, for instance, in a single-parent household, the risk goes up. If uh, there are I, – I, they don't want us to say this publicly, but if there are two men or two women in the household, it, it goes up exponentially. Because the child is trying to figure out why this is, even though they're told that this is the way, uh, that it's okay, uh, most of their friends do not have two moms or two dads. So it increases the risk of depression and anxiety. Um, there are other factors regarding um, physical appearance. Kids are terrible about this. Uh, they'll make fun of your ears, your nose, your hair, your you know mole, your whatever the case may be. They will just... We had a little girl in um, middle school. They teased and teased and teased about a mole on her nose, and it didn't stick out. It just it was a little bump, and then she went and got it fixed, and it caused a crater in her nose, and visible to this day. And so then they made fun of her because she had a crater there where the mole had been taken out. So kids are they're brutal. I mean, they are. And so as the younger we are, the more difficult we have uh, trying to cope with those particular problems. Uh, with all the resources that we have today, uh, all of the books, all of the, uh, you know, you can do training seminars, you can take classes. With all of the resources, you would think that these statistics would get lower and lower and lower. So my question to you is, why not? With all the resources that are available, all the academia we have, uh, all the science behind it, why are we still struggling with mental illness, with with this idea of having a depression or anxiety. Insecurity. Okay. People are insecure. Why else do you think it is? Why are we still struggling with this? Because it broke more since God's kind of being removed from the home. Yes. It has grown since then. And, and again, uh, there are, when you take the Bible and prayer out of the equation, when you um, chain your teachers and administrators and tell them they cannot or they will lose their job it definitely has an impact 
also feel like in this culture we live in today, it's a lot more negativity that's shown that you see just from the media and other things. Uh, a lot more negativity instead of a lot more positivity. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that's definitely has a, a lot to do with it. The 24 hour news cycle has not helped us. Um, people will, I know people that will turn on the Fox News in the morning. And when they go to bed at night, they'll turn it off. That's all they watch is the news. That's your in-laws. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, too, since COVID, I think that we have more fear, and that goes along with our culture. But I don't know that we'll ever totally get back to where we were before people started being fearful of mm -hmm. other people. Yeah. Know? Yeah, and that, that may have been the, the worst repercussion from COVID is the – the lack of touch, the lack of connection is that I can't, we can't be around people. It's much easier if we stay away. Um, people began to order more food online, have it delivered to their house. They didn't like going to restaurants, didn't like going public. You will almost every day, if you're out in public, will see somebody with a mask on still. Uh, people still are paranoid about it. And so the, the distance from people does not help community. If, if we feel like it's better for us to stay home or to not be around someone, it's going to cause some friction. And with that, I think there's been a disconnect between, especially I see this in like my kids' age and, and younger even. They're just, you know, they're sitting at a table and they're just texting or snapping right. or whatever each other instead of talking. So there's less communication and, and real life. Um, right. You know, I just... I mean, one of mine, he doesn't even want to order anything if he can't just do it through with no, no talking. Right. You know? so. and, and again, the, some of the things that we have seen as advances to our, um, you know, in technology and all these things, they've actually set us back. Uh, people do not know how to interact with one another. Um, not just, I'm not just talking about integrity, I'm talking about basic communication skills. As people don't know how to talk to each other. And it will, it will get worse um, if we continue to be afraid. Now, I know that there are some real fears. I can tell you, I have a Germex in both vehicles. I have a pump in my office. I have access to it on my backpack. I am, uh, Terry, you understand. We, we talked about that last night. Sometimes the germs, you just, woo. We, we just, I just, I get nervous about that. There's a difference between being alert and, and educated and, and careful than there is being fearful. The big difference. Well, but sometimes you're talking about all the books and stuff about depression and about all these things. A lot of times people read into that going, ooh, that must be what I am. Yes. We yeah. really not. Self-diagnosis. Self-diagnosis through books and through knowledge. Knowledge is great. Don't right. You know, don't get me wrong, but right. sometimes people get older knowledge. Oh, yeah. Because they think, oh, that must be me. Right. And I'll, everybody's that way, so I'm depressed. Yeah. Rather than just going out and dealing with it, they yeah. try to, oh, i got to go to the doctor for it, mm -hmm. and the doctor gives you something else, and blah, 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 and it just gets worse. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a, that's a real struggle is we automatically Google the problem. It automatically we will and AI is not going to help us any because AI is going to come up with uh, solutions that are not necessarily helpful anyway but uh, when we go google it we'll go oh you know I'm having heartburn and such and such like I have liver cancer you know it's like no you don't you have heartburn you know it's like you but you you go through your symptoms and then you will google remedies for those symptoms 
instead of going to the doctor, we'll be like, what's a remedy for, you know, earache? And we'll just go automatically and do it, hoping that Google is telling us what's right. And I'm, I guarantee there are people every day, I don't know that Google's ever been sued for having wrong answers. Maybe that's the next big thing. Is everybody gets together and gets a lawyer and says Google gives false information. But there are times we'll Google stuff and say, okay, well, let's try this home remedy. Um, people do that all the time with TikTok. Uh, they'll, they'll watch a video and they'll go, oh, let's go do it, and it doesn't work. Uh, early years when TikTok first got started, uh, a couple of them I knew absolutely wouldn't work. And so I, I showed the video on one side and then me doing it. One was the peanut butter jar. I don't know if you saw that one. They said if you spin a peanut butter jar, all the peanut butter will come to the top. It will get off the bottom. And so they, they would do it. They'd spin that thing and spin that thing and then all the peanut butter. So you don't have to get your spoon or knife down there in the corners. And all the peanut butter comes to the top of the jar. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But they, they did two or three people like, oh, this really works. No, it doesn't. I tried it with several. It didn't work. It doesn't work. But when you hear somebody who says, this is what you should do, parents deal with this all the time. People who are older who had their kids raised will come up to you and go, well, you know what you ought to do. If I were you, I'd do this. This is what helps. You know, everything from how long they should suck on a passy to when's the right time to potty train. People always want to give wisdom and instruction. And it may not be the case. Uh, we were talking about last night that I had a neighbor who came over and told me that putting rocks in your um, flowers will kill everything. So I pulled up all my rocks, all of them. And it cost a lot of money to put all those rocks down, big old rock garden. And then I put down a chip and they still didn't survive. I don't know whether it was too much sun or not enough water or what. But I was, instead I had a guy at church said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. People put rocks around landscaping all the time. And I was like, I knew it. But we will, we will automatically take the advice of someone if we respect them. And it's not always good advice. And, and you know, another thing is that kids are cruel, but society is cruel. Yeah. Because everything is labeled, they say. Mm-hmm. People think they have to live up to a certain thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. If you weren't taught that in your family to, to have self-esteem and to have any coping skills, mm-hmm. then you, you don't know how to deal with that. That's right. That's a big step is learning coping skills at a young age, mm-hmm. at a very young age. That's what you were talking too about um, COVID and how people change. How mm-hmm. they stay, you know, in their homes and stuff. They go out doing anything. We've been going through training at Vanderbilt where uh, the baby boomers, mm-hmm. which I'm part of, they, with the Gen Zers and Gen Xers and all, they're, they're a more of a texting mm-hmm. email type. Yeah. And all the new nurses and doctors that are coming in there or having set up programs on their phones and tablets and stuff that they use, like patients down all the clinics at Vanderbilt owns, they take it, come in, it's pretty much contactless. Right. They come to a screen and do it. It's none of that where people my age would much rather talk to somebody face to face and interact. But the newer ones coming in, we're constantly updating technology, and it's it's getting less contact, face to face communication with people. Right. And yeah. it's, I mean, this is you know, it's not only Vanderbilt; it's other big hospitals. Yeah, and that's a generational thing that can't ever be fixed because our our generation now is too tech savvy. 
But that's why they, uh, they have a hard time doing just basic tasks. You know, you don't, when's the last time you drove down a road and saw a bunch of kids out picking up sticks in the yard or mowing the grass or working on a car in the yard? That's, when I was growing up, that's all the guys had cars in the yard, lifting the engine out and working on it. You don't see kids doing that. They don't know how to function without that technology. Yep. Because if, if we have a downtime that's unplanned yeah. and they have to use pencil and paper to document stuff, yeah. come back in once the system comes back up an area later, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it comes from the end. Well, it's it's t- at Titus Camp, we tell them they're not allowed to have their phones during the day. And every year we'll find a kid or two that's got their phone. And when we take it, they cry every time. Because to them, it's like their pacifier. It's like their, their little baby bunny. You can't, and so the younger that a child gets exposed to technology, the more difficult it's gonna be for them to take that technology away. Those are the kids that will grow up not being able to have social skills. So, and there's nothing wrong with technology. We need technology, but you have to slowly teach our kids, you need to interact with people. Let's take it and let's set you in front of people. Let's interact. There's no playground interaction. There's no, uh, most every time uh, you're out in public, you see young people and, and some even my age are on their phone. They're sitting at a table with their family and they're all on the phone. And yep, yep, yep. And I think the one thing too, and I'll reiterate this through these, through these 10 weeks, happiness is overrated. Happiness is overrated. You don't want happiness. You want contentment. That's what you want. You want contentment. You want to learn to be content in whatever state you're in. Happiness is overrated because happiness is a thing that's, that is in flux. What makes you happy today? You know, if, if, I, if I come you know, and I say, hey, congratulations, you've, you've won ice cream every day for a year. You know, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's great. But you tell that to a child, they're going to go nuts. They love it. Uh, if you tell a child they get to pick the menu... They're going to be ecstatic. But the older we get, you know, we, we pretty much, we've learned to be content with whatever we have. And so uh, contentment is something that uh, it cannot be confused with happiness. It cannot be confused with it. And, but we always want to say, well, this makes me happy or this makes me happy. That makes me happy. And uh, that should be, I think that's a dangerous thing. To try to put everything, hinge everything on your on your mental health. You're like, well, this makes me feel good. This makes me feel good. Well, not everything's going to feel good, uh, and it doesn't have to. Uh, Paul found contentment in a prison cell, so I think we can find contentment in in difficult places if we're walking, you know, faithfully with the Lord. And again, it's about changing our mindset. It's changing the way we think about things. Um, and Jesus did that in the garden. You know, he was. He was struggling. You know, he said, Lord, if there's any way, let this cup pass. But then after a breath, he says, but it's your will that needs to be done. And that's where we are is, boy, God, this would be great if you do this for me. But if not, just help me get the strength to get through it. You know, that's the that's the I think that's the the way God wants us to think. And um, in a in time uh, in the next few weeks, we'll get into Philippians four. And Paul will talk about that, that contentment that you need. So I want to talk about just real quickly four verses that I think will help as we kind of launch this, this series. The first is Psalm 46.10. Now that's an easy one, right? Be still and know that I am God. We love that verse, right? Okay, well if we're talking about mindfulness and mental and health and we love this verse, what does it mean to be still? Don't ask me. <laughs> if I need to be still... 
Yeah, if I need to be still and know that he's God. What do you think, Crystal? Well, it's not just keeping your body still, but mm-hmm. it's keeping your mind still. Yeah. And focusing on him and your heart. Because sometimes you're like, if I'm, if I'm in prayer, sometimes I go off on tangents. Yep. And then in those little rabbit holes, I start thinking about things that I need to do. Yes. Or that's bothering me. Yes. Instead of focusing on my conversation with Right, and so you're, you're dead right. Sometimes prayer, it has a tendency, if we do it a certain way, to make it worse. Because the more you pray about a one certain thing, you're like, Lord, it's me again. You know, we talked about this 15 minutes ago, and you hadn't fixed it. And then we think about other problems that are related to that problem. Um, but, but the psalmist is saying, be still. Be still. Just set still. That's the hardest thing. For us when we were little, you know, I, I had struggled in church. I did. I, I could not sit still. And, and my mom would give me stuff to do. My grandma would give me stuff to do. Grandma would carry Smarties in her purse. And I would get down on my knees and sit on the pew and spell out words and do a cross. And then you get down to the five. You got three down and two across. And you're like, oh, no, it can't be a cross anymore. What am I going to do? You know, and you start thinking, well, okay, I'll take this one out. We'll make it an X. And then it's just like you got one dot left. And you're like, oh, well. But I would just sit there and I'd play with the Smarties. I would write on cards. And as I got older, my parents would be like, you need to set still. You need to just set. So then, then it's, here's a Bible. Open it up and read. Here's a, here's a, a you know, a, a color page or a word study. And you slowly learn that stillness. But as we've gotten older, we think we've mastered it. And we're actually probably worse now than we were when we were younger because our brain, we have so many things that we have to do, so many responsibilities, we do not know how to shut it off. And we're the ones trying to run around and fix the problems. Right. And God's saying, stop. Yep. Let me you know, know I'm, I'm God. And right. He's we got it. A, we have a plan, right? Although we're a thought maker is. Uh huh. Good morning. This is God. I'm going to be taking care of everything today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree. What do you think, Crystal? Oftentimes, like, we have all these things running through our minds. We lose the, well, I know I do. I lose the joy in my day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think about all these things, and I get strapped down with all these thoughts and things i got to do that I look less happy to the world. Yeah. But I'm actually losing my joy throughout the day. I'm losing that contentment because mm-hmm. of all these things. Like my phone, I have a huge list of things to do. Right. <laughs> it's massive. And it's just like if I allow that to stay in my mind and my heart all day, I'm not going to have peace. I'm not going to have joy that God can give me. Right. And it makes sense that if you have a bunch of things to accomplish, when you wake up in the morning, that's the first thing on your mind. You'd rather just stay in bed. You know, and that's where depression kicks in. Is like I've got too many things on my plate. I cannot do it. And rather than taking stuff off my plate, I would rather worry about it and say, "Well, I'll get to it eventually." Procrastination is a very dangerous game to play because the more that you allow things to be put off, then the more they pile up. And some things we have to just kind of go, "I'm not going to do it," and I'm not going to worry about it. And I, I have reached that point in my life where there are things that I just say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. And I tell people, I'm sorry, I wish you the best of luck, but I'm not going to take that on. Um, there are some things that will, t- uh, Missy said this to me one time, she said, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And I was like, ooh, that's good, that'll preach. I mean, because we do, when we say yes to something, we actually are saying no to something that may be more valuable to us, more important. 
Uh, and so this idea of stillness, we kind of have to, and we're going to talk about meditation here in just a few weeks. Because I do believe wholeheartedly that as Christians we should, we should practice meditation. Mindfulness is a, uh, is a, a state of being that we, I think we all need to reach that point where there, there are times, maybe, I don't know that it has to be every day, but we just stop, turn the radio off, turn the phone off. We have a nice little nearly three acre little plot of land and I, I ask myself all the time, why don't I go walk? Why don't I just walk around the yard? Lily would love it if I do it. But I don't make the 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes to do it. I don't have the time to do it. Uh, and there's a time where you need to kind of learn to just kind of dial it back. One of my favorite things about C-3PO in Star Wars was whenever he goes, I'm going to power myself down now. You know, and I thought, man, that's exactly what I need to do sometimes is just power myself down. And we have to learn that if all we are hearing is our voice then God doesn't have a place in our mind. All we're hearing is our voice. So I think one practice that will be good is reading scripture and then closing our Bible up and thinking about it. Walking, uh, setting still, uh, just maybe you've got a place at your house, you've got a chair or a couch or outside is great if you can get outside in nature and just just think that there's a there's a practice, I don't know if we'll get to it in this series, but I wrote an article about it some time ago about grounding, and it's one of those things, earthers do this, where they, um, they take their shoes off and their socks off and they walk around the grass. And there's something uh, very, I, I hate to use the word spiritual, but it is somewhat spiritual to do this, to, to reconnect to the earth. Take shoes and socks off, walk around in the grass. Um, most of us probably have concrete floors in our homes. You may have a wood floor, but most of us probably have concrete floors. And so if you will learn to be connected, you know, once in a while, just take your shoes off, go out and stand in the grass. Sounds crazy. But if you do it, you'd be surprised what it will do to you. Um, I have a friend who they have, they have run a ground line outside and they have it connected to their bed. And uh, I, I told first, I said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And they said, no, it's actually helpful. It helps in grounding. And I was like, okay, whatever. Y'all are crazy. But, uh, but it works. It does work. There's some, there's some true benefits to it. So be still. Another one, this is Psalm 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for what? Nothing. Now, nothing is two words. No and thing. <laughs> so be anxious for Nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So going back to Psalm 32, you're encapsulated by love. You are surrounded by love. And if you will trust in God and not be anxious for anything, but take it to him in prayer, he will guard your hearts and minds. He will protect your mind. So uh, when we are feeling extremely anxious, overwhelmingly anxious about something, we should be able to have such a relationship with God that we can pray about it and let him take all those negative thoughts out. Now, this is is something that um, uh, I've taught this doing counseling, and I think this is really helpful to physically put a connection to it. If you have a bad thought, just... Take it out. Now, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan, but I've seen the movies, and they do that with the memories. I don't know if you remember where they pull it out with the, the, the little wands. Dumbledore does that. It's really cool. 
And so they pull the little thoughts out and they put it down in the little bowl. You can literally remove those anxious and negative thoughts. So um, I don't know if you want to do it physically like that, but I, I do sometimes when I read scripture, you know, take it and put it in your mouth, take it and put it in your head. You know, it looks silly, but and whatever works for you, begin to meditate on things of God and not on the things of yourself or of others. Whatever somebody else says of you, it doesn't matter. Whatever you think of yourself needs to change. Think and see yourself as God does. So God wants to protect your mind. He wants to, he's going to give you a helmet of salvation, you know, and you can just put that on and protect your mind from those things. And also in order to do that, stay away from the negative influences. Um, <clears throat> our young people, we get, we, why are they so depressed? And why are they, have you listened to the music? they play? Have you listened to the music? I mean, it's like their, their whole environment is about, uh, you know, relationships that don't work. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Bless her, Taylor Swift. Sometimes I think her preacher needed to set her down and say, bless you, child. That child been through so much heartache and headache and breakups and something's wrong there. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of people will, that when they overwhelmingly listen to music and watch things of a negative nature, it does have an impact on you. So uh, changing the way you view uh, your entertainment can also be helpful. But guard your mind. Don't put that negative stuff in there. Uh, next one. This is Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So think more. Uh, do you think about heaven every day? Think about heaven every day. Think about Jesus every day. Put little things up in your home or in your car or in your cubicle at work where you're constantly thinking about spiritual things. Um, one thing we do in the mornings is we listen to acapella music. We did it today. We do it every day, every Sunday. We love it. Lily, not so much. Lily, that sends her into depression. Yeah, she's, she goes into depression. She knows when we hears that music, it's a Sunday. And she'll go curl up and those eyes will start. Like, oh, you're going to lock me up for a few hours. But, um, but set your mind on things that are spiritual. But we have loved studying through. It's hard to catch up. It's hard because it's a lot of reading. We try to read through the New Testament in the, in the month of September. And it's been great. I, I have, every time I read the Bible and learn new things, and I am taking notes on stuff that I, I've read the New Testament probably more than a hundred times, and I'm still just in awe of God can still teach us things every time we read it. So set your mind on things above. And the last one is 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Let me ask you this. If God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, who did? God, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Power is through the Holy Spirit. Love, again, you're encapsulated by the love of God. It surrounds you. You can't run away from it. There's nowhere you can go high, low, sideways, above, beyond, anything created. It doesn't matter. Nothing can separate you from love of God. And a sound mind. If we rely on fear, our mind is not sound. If we rely on fear, it casts love out. You see, perfect love casts out fear. So there's a, there's a battle going on inside your mind between love and fear. People say, well, the opposite of love is hate. Well, the opposite of love is fear, according to Paul. So if you have fear, love does not reside. Sound mind is gone because you're scared, you're afraid of all these things. And power, the power to cast it out, the power to remove it. 
So if God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, how did you get it? From the devil. From the devil. He wants you to be afraid. He wants you to have no power. Yep. He wants you to feel like you're not loved. Yes. And he wants your life to be chaotic. That's it. That's it. The reverse, the reverse is true. If this is what God has given, it's what the devil takes away. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Right. And he wants you to think there's no answer to your problems. He wants you to think that you're never going to be able to survive it. There are things, it really is sad to me, sometimes kids, and, and, and I was one of those kids once too, where, you know, I just thought, uh, you know, I wasn't loved and, and I'm on the street and thinking I'm all by myself. And I think there's a lot of kids even today living in a home with a mom and dad still feel completely lost and they don't know what's going on and they think they're all alone. And we have to reiterate to our children over and over that we're not always going to be there for them. But if they have a strong relationship with God, no matter what happens, they're going to be able to endure it. Um, so we're going to disappoint them. God's never going to disappoint you. And, and instead, sometimes we actually feed their fears. Because we do. We tell them, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And then they get afraid. Uh, and we have to have a balance there because sometimes that healthy fear is necessary. You know, don't drive fast, wear your seatbelt. But seat we belt. assure them too, especially when they're young. You know, I, I live with mine. I've got, you know, I'll take care of it. I'll, right. I'll take care of it. And definitely I feel like that's true. We need to give them more of that. Right. There one I don't know if I mentioned this in the from the pulpit, but I was watching last week. It's a they've made a huge thing on TikTok with it. But there's this girl. She's probably 19 years old. Oh no, she's she's finished college, I guess. And she says she's bawling her eyes out, having a full blown panic attack, saying nobody told me I was going to have to work a nine to five. I did not know that I had to join the workforce. Nobody told me that. I didn't work in high school. I didn't work in college. I got my degree. I enjoyed college. Nobody told me I was going to have to work for a living. And I'm like, that's not true. Somebody had to have told you. But she's having this meltdown going, I don't want to work from 9 to 5. I don't. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, well, if you've never had to work, that's not a good thing. All right. So uh, we'll pick back up here next week. And... I hope to hope that y'all come back and join us again. We've got nine more weeks studying about mindfulness and mental health. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.